Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Welcome to our fifth episode of WTF, Women Talking Frankly, with your hosts, Candace and me, Kyle. We're back talking about all that we never learned in sex ed or never asked enough questions about or, frankly, haven't even talked about much and still don't. Maybe that's because we always assumed our OB-GYN would tell us everything we needed to know, or maybe our moms would, or our sisters, or our friends, or maybe we've just been too, we've been too embarrassed to ask, them. or frankly, we haven't even known what questions to ask. I see that every day. Well, that's where WTF comes in. Assume nothing, ask all the hard questions, insist on the answers in our hot pursuit of hormone balance, which, by the way remember from our other episode, is one of our 10 essential truths. Actually, the first one that Candace and I came up with, which is hormones in harmony and living in balance is an attainable goal. Indeed. And um, I wanted to to bring up a hot topic that, that segues right into this, <clears throat> that balance is attainable. However, fleeting it may seem to some, we can offer hope here. I, I read an article in last week's New Yorker magazine, and um, the title of it was Where Are All the Menopause Books? Or I think it was called Natural Woman, and the and the um, blog out there was talking about Where Are All the Menopause Books, which, which of course got me thinking about some of the great books on menopause that are out there. And we're going to share some of our favorite must-reads on menopause with you at the end of the program. But what really got me about this article and has really kept my brain in a hot, hot burning mode was its takeaway. (laughs) Yet again, when it comes to getting the answers we seek for hormonal issues, women keep hitting a wall. So in the article, it's uh, the woman that's writing about it has had a major hysterectomy for a major hormonal imbalance that she had um, that was pretty serious, and she had been looking for help for quite a while, and she finally ended up getting getting the hysterectomy. Um, but rather than me going on, here's a quote from the article that that kind of gets into where we're at with this this issue of are we getting the help we need. So here's from the, from the article. She says, "I was at a hospital." This is post-hysterectomy, trying to get help for the different complications. She says, I was at a hospital ranked as one of the best in the country. The oncologist, this specialist of all specialists, brought out an ancient-looking laminated book with illustrations of the pelvic nerves. She showed me the nerves that had been cut during my surgery, the ones controlling arousal, and the nerves that hadn't, the ones controlling everything else. But she didn't have any data, couldn't name any studies, couldn't answer my questions. So I'm thinking, WTF at one of the best hospitals in the country? This is worrisome indeed. And it fits in, doesn't it? Right with yeah, our concerns. Absolutely. And the very point we are, we're here to make um, segued perfectly into that ARP article we discussed last episode. Remember that surveys, mm-hmm. recent surveys, tell us that a majority of practicing OBGYNs are not up to date on their knowledge of menopause and how to treat it. What was it? Twenty percent of of medical residency programs for OB gynees provide medical training for menopause. Only twenty percent, and they're mostly elective. Right. And eighty percent of medical residents say, "quote They are barely comfortable discussing or treating menopause." So, 
Basically, the doctors we depend on seem to have no clue how to talk to us and about guess hormones wh- or menopause. And guess what? Some people don't even go to their OB guides for this. They go to their primary care doctors about this. Right. And now we're talking about a real lack of information. A real so, dearth. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because what was the another quote in that very important article was that 60% of women who have severe menopausal mm-hmm. symptoms and seek med- medical attention of that number, what was it, three-fourths do not get... The, the treatment or the help they need. So they're very frustrated and they don't know where to go and they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. Basically. They're looking for answers in all the wrong places. This this woman, one more quote, if I may, from the same article that I felt really summed up the feeling that the only answers are antidepressants or birth control. Hmm. Um, so, quote, I went to more doctors. They insisted that my problem was imaginary or if not imaginary, then emotional, or if not emotional, then a symptom of perimenopause that I hadn't noticed before, which is to say it was natural, unavoidable. (laughs) So I was left with no answers other than that my problem was mine alone. My body no longer served any reproductive purpose. So what else was there to say? Oh, my God, there's so much else to say. And I just reread that article this morning, and I thought it was so interesting when she talked about hormonal transitions in women's lives and how we are so set up for various, we talked about this in a previous episode, but you know, we learn about puberty in school. Maybe our mom told us something, maybe our oldest sister told us something. So we learn about that. So that's a huge transition hormonally. We learn about having children, you know, having how our reproductive system works. But where it really falls flat is in the perimenopause and the menopause, e- even PMS, even infertility, all these other transitions that women have, there's not a lot of information. And, and the uh, information you get is very confusing and very conflicting. I just saw an article several weeks ago in the New York Times that was titled, PMS is Real. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Well, what, I, would, I would tell you that an interesting, uh, there was a very big, I'm not going to name names, but there was a very famous um, reproductive endocrinologist at OHSU many years ago. And I remember somebody told me that he didn't believe in PMS. And I remember thinking, I wonder what his wife thinks about that. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. And I think for so long, and in this article, it goes on, it's a good article in that it talks about the rage that women feel. They're so frustrated because n- this woman went into her hysterectomy and probably nobody really told her what to expect afterwards. And, you know, they go through all the possible complications, bleeding, infection, pain, you know, death, whatever. But to go through the lack of sexual functioning or or the hormone changes, and I thought was interesting, she talked about she only had her uterus taken out. She did not have her ovaries taken out. But yet she had a huge um, change in her body. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I see a lot of. Even though you're not supposed to have a hormonal disruption, if you only take out the the uterus, which doesn't have a, a hormonal function, many women, especially in their mid to late 40s, I see that a lot. They have a huge. It's almost like that 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 uh, attack on their body. It's such a hormonal. It's such a physiological shift. Mm-hmm. The blood flow change. I can't explain it, but I can tell you that I see it a lot. Well, I remember uh, in my days at at the hormone testing lab I worked at. Um, there was always this talk about, yes, total hysterectomy, of course, puts you into menopause overnight, uh, especially removal of the ovaries, the uterus, everything, but fallopian tubes. But but women who have their ovaries left don't always have a satisfying production of hormones, especially some years on when the uterine blood supply to the ovaries has, you know, is missing yeah, exactly. with the removal of the uterus. So it, it, it kind of makes sense that they're not going to be 
super productive. What struck me about the article too, though, is that she, I didn't see any relief in it. I didn't see, there was no mention of help that she did find. And yet there is so much that can be done. Tell us how you deal with women all the time that come to you with with post-hysterectomy. I will do that. And I also want to say, we actually should contact this author and tell her that there's hope and maybe have her you know, be aware of some not, of the... Not a bad idea. Yeah, so, good so, idea. So where I work, I work at the Pearl Women's Center in downtown Portland, and I work with a wonderful gynecologist, um, Dr. Richard Rosenfield, and he set up a practice. He, he does what's called minimally invasive surgery. It's inevitable that some women will need a hysterectomy. And, and there's and many years ago, I think that, that word hysterectomy got a bad name because I think a lot of women had got unnecessary surgeries, just like many women got unnecessary mastectomies. We've learned a lot. Tell us when they're more necessary. When a woman has her quality of life is so bad, if she's bleeding like 10, 15 days a month, she's got pelvic pain, she's got That's maybe unbearable. incontinence, you know, anemic, just unbearable. When the quality of life becomes so untenable and having a hysterectomy is going to change that person's life, that's when I think a hysterectomy is essential. When she has a, a large uterine fibroid or a uterus full of fibroids or a large ovarian cyst that's causing pressure and pain, bloating. Uh, sometimes people have like a 10 to 12-week size uterus that's like being like in the first trimester of pregnancy. It's pretty uncomfortable. So lots of decisions are, this is a separate topic, but lots of decision-making goes into that process. So the woman will sit down, with, and usually they've come in at the end of their rope on their physiological level or physical level, and that discussion will happen with the gynecologist and that patient. But then again, this woman now becomes sort of a patient that I need to see because I'm going to offer her some proactive hormone balance. So she goes in scared. And even though she wants to have this procedure done, she's still nervous. It's a huge change in her body and in physiology. So we often have that patient see the doctor and then they come to see me. Before the surgery. If so possible. So she if can feel possi- reassured. If, if, if that- at all possible. And then sometimes we do baseline testing at that point in time. Sometimes I wait until after the surgery and I do a, a saliva test maybe six weeks after, after the cortisol levels have settled down. And we see where she's at post-hysterectomy and then I can move forward. But it's amazing. And I, I was going through our blog. So I think we've told you, our listeners, that Candace and I wrote a blog called Menopossibilities for several years, and it's still on um, online. And I just was looking at our, our 10 essential truths. www.menopossibilities.com. There you go. There mm-hmm. it is. And I was looking at the essentials, and I one of our, uh, one of our patients who I've been seeing for t- almost 10 years, Robin B., I know she wouldn't mind if I said her name, but I'm going to just read a quote <laughs> that she... She um, wrote into our blog several years back talking about she was a woman who had to have a hysterectomy, and she was absolutely miserable. She was having hot flashes and night sweats. She was just, life was untenable for her. She was, it was a mess. She came to see me and Dr. Rosenfield, and this is the quote that she wrote on May 15, 2013. I've been seeing Kyle at Pearl Women's Center for several years, had my hysterectomy ovaries removed there by Dr. Rosenfield also. About to turn 49, these people not only saved my life, but Kyle put me on a road to hormonal harmony. Yes, finally. The HRT and correct supplements changed everything. Bioidentical HRT has been a lifesaver. I cannot thank Kyle enough for her endless help, and I love this blog. So that was kind of a fun thing. I had totally forgotten about this these comments, but this is a, such a common theme. Candace mm-hmm. has heard these same themes as well. Women who 
it is a life-changing procedure to get a hysterectomy and to have nobody there to help you, sort of that is your rescue person, to, to ease you down. And it's so hard. And going through natural menopause is hard. Yeah. But hysterectomy catapults you overnight into menopause, really. And if you've had the a total removal, then you do need a total complement of hormone replacement, which can all be bioidentical. Remember, um, bioidentical is natural, derived from plants, mm-hmm. meant to be uh, derived from plants, synthesized in a lab, but synthesized to be identical to the hormones our own bodies make, the same structure and function. So they fit, click, like a lock key in the lock. And it's and amazing. the body goes, I know what to do with you. I recognize you. And so there and so I would think women before the hysterectomy, knowing that they will receive mm-hmm. the balance they need from you, puts them into that surgery feeling a lot more informed and obviously they recover better. It's and, it's it's really it's like <clears throat> night and day. Mm-hmm. And then you also have you know we have young women coming in who have horrible endometriosis or horrible um, you know problems with their fibroids, menorrhagia, which is heavy bleeding to the point where they mm-hmm. become anemic. These are women in their twenties or thirties having their ovaries removed. Imagine the life change that that puts them in. They become and if they don't go on any hormone replacement, and there's really no argument for that. Most people do put them on estrogen. They don't put them on progesterone because they think that you don't need that. Which when you is have a big to, no-no. It's a big no-no, but because you, you're still going to become... Estrogen dominance is primarily the reason that most women do end up with hysterectomy, heavy bleeding, endometriosis, fibroids. Well, let's talk about that because yep. we, were, we had a, a whole episode... Um, I think it was episode number three, it'll be in our show notes, that we we did discuss uh, estrogen dominance, which is one of the more common Mm -hmm. imbalances we see, certainly in women after menopause who are no longer ovulating and thus not producing much progesterone. So it's easy enough to become estrogen dominant, especially if we're somewhat overweight. If we have the more fat cells we have, the Mm -hmm. more easily we churn out estrogen. So estrogen isn't always the problem. Um, a lack of it isn't always the problem. But when you get younger women, see what I, I talk to a lot of younger women who are in their 20s and 30s. And as you just said, a lot of these issues, endometriosis, menorrhagia, painful, heavy periods are due to estrogen dominance. So in the early years of a woman's reproductive life, we can, we can talk hormone balance. We can even talk, you know, by talking about hormone imbalance and identifying these imbalances through testing and then trying to help that person balance her hormones with natural herbal remedies, the chaseberry we mentioned, the progesterone cream if needed, and and if we see it in test results, that can go a long way, wouldn't you say, towards yeah. redressing the imbalance, getting people back into a better balance so that maybe there's a good chance we don't need to carry on with endless endometriosis and, and a hysterectomy down the road. I do think that getting proactive in, at a young age is, is extremely important. And of course, you, I know you didn't mention this, but I know you are thinking this, the diet, exercise, and stress management is going to be huge. It is it's, integral it's, it's to everything. the whole thing. So, the, so classically, you know, I was trained back in the 80s um, as, a nurse, as a nurse practitioner. I know this is still going on this day. But when we had patients who had irregular bleeding, guess what we put them on? Birth control pills. Of course. And so that was classic. And Or now we're putting people on like an IUD with a hormone in it. So we're not, we're, we're doing a Band-Aid approach. It, it works. Sure, it's, it solves the problem of the irregular bleeding, but it's not addressing the underlying imbalance. 
And I think that's what Candace is addressing. If we have, say, same thing with young women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, known as PCOS, we always put them on the birth control pill. It was like, oh, don't worry about testing them. Let's do, we're just going to fix the problem and pass them on. That's basically what we did. And I have a very different approach now. If people come to see me, I get them off the birth control pill. I do the testing, whether it be for PCOS or PMS or whatever, and then figure out what's going on. There's other methods of birth control besides the oral contraceptives. Yeah. I find many of the women I'm talking to, the younger women, want to come off birth control. I know. Especially if they've been on the pill for, and as we mentioned before, 10, 15 years since high school. I know. They were put on for acne, for heavy periods, for PMS, and they're still on it because they're afraid to come off. And indeed, when they do come off, because so many of these younger gals are really health conscious and mm-hmm. they're they're informing themselves and they're reading books and they're they're learning more about this and they're saying, I don't want to put unhealthy chemicals into my body and, and I'm thinking about getting pregnant at some point and having children and how do I prepare myself for a healthy pregnancy? So they're really interested in coming off. And the good news is that there are some good alternatives. I would like to see more. I think yeah. it's a vexed question still Mm -hmm. that women were the ones responsible for birth control for the most part although there are spermicides for men and there is vasectomy and Mm -hmm. you know that seems a bit dire but if you've been in a relationship for a while and you have had all the children you want to have that's that's a certainly a reasonable um alternative but you know for women we still have what the sponge we've got the diaphragm we've got uh, the IUD, the copper IUD is 99% effective, doesn't mess with hormones. And a lot of gals say it makes heavier periods, but they sometimes resol- they usually resolve after a month or so. So just a clarification, actually, just uh, Candace, uh, uh, copper IUD is more like 97% effective. It's the Mirena and the hormonal ones that are like 99.8% effective. Mm. However, the copper IUD, I do love the copper IUD, but for some women, especially if they have a history of heavy periods, it's not, not the right a, not sh- the best. No, unfortunately, this is the biggest problem. I mean, I've been in women's health for over 30 years. There's always been a lack or of adequate amounts of reversible birth control methods. Right. Of course, there are irreversible ones like the vasectomy, getting your tubes tied. But those, many women aren't ready for that and men, they need to have more time. I agree that when you get to a certain age and you're absolutely sure you don't want children or you don't want more children, it's it's absolutely one, a wonderful way to go. I but, remember when I was, before I ever had a pregnancy, I could not tolerate an IUD. I think they've, I, I, I just couldn't, they were far too painful. I think they're a lot better now because yes. I hear from a lot of younger women that they, you know, they have gotten used to them. Then there's also all these great apps out there now. Mm-hmm. Family oh, yeah. planning apps, the mm-hmm. Flow Living app through Alyssa Vitti mm-hmm. is, is a great one. And there are several others. So, so that's a way to go. But in You know, in talking about all this, when you, I just wanted to go back to, you talked about estrogen dominance being the cause of many of these things. And we're talking about a woman who's who's in menopause now after a bad hysterectomy, not a bad hysterectomy, but side effects from the hysterectomy and not getting any help. There are also, maybe some of those side effects are due to her estrogen now being low. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk a bit about that. We've talked about estrogen dominance, which is so common, but... We, you know, and and sometimes estrogen deficiency has been the only conversation around menopause, but yep. it, it it's not the only imbalance, of course, but it's certainly central 
to many of the symptoms. So what what do you see? I mean, I see this a lot in people I test and talk to. They are estrogen deficient. They may also be estrogen dominant at yeah. the same time. Well, they fluctuate. And I think what... It's I, due to the fluctuations. Yeah. So I think what we see that classically... When people are estrogen deficiency, one of the first symptoms we'll see is vaginal dryness. Dryness, dryness, and dryness. And pain with intercourse. And they'll start to have more more bladder infections known as UTIs, um, possibly more yeast infections. Just the, the vaginal tissue is not as pliable and soft, and so it gets atrophic, and it, it, it's more likely to get traumatized by any kind of penetration or just urine or anything, natural body flow. Right. Um, I think fluid, excuse me. Um, also, you'll see people having brain fog, uh, night sweats, hot flashes, and the worst of all is the insomnia. I mean, classically, women who wake up in the middle of the night and cannot go back to bed, that tips me over into thinking they're estrogen deficient. What did George Gilson say in his book, um, What You Need to Know About Menopause? He said something about, you know you're in menopause when the sound of sweat dripping on the floor wakes you up at night, (laughs) wakes you up at three in the morning. It's so true. And like like I said in a previous podcast, so many women go through this, so it's not that unstable. You know, go online and you probably can find half your friends up and and right. reading a book. Yeah, it's just like this. It's classic between like one and two in the morning, and I just can't get back to bed, and I I'm desperate to sleep because I have to go to work tomorrow. You know, I got to take my kids to school, whatever. But it is. The, I think those are the main things. I think of um, the memory, mood, also memory mood lapses. Yeah, and memory. So brain fog. Why did I come into the room? I can't remember why. And the and also um, uh, you know low mood, estrogen. Uh, helps promote the uh, production of serotonin. Serotonin is what makes Absolutely. us happy. Yeah. And so when you don't have estrogen, you are depressed, you're flat. That's where you may even feel that rage that, yeah. that some women describe. It's not, you know, let's not dilute it to irritability. Let's call it rage I know. At, some, at some points. And I do talk to women that are seriously concerned about that, about how their family oh. is suffering from their Jekyll and Hyde moods. But what's interesting about this is, it, how how is it that there's this this estrogen dominance and estrogen deficiency? I think estrogen deficiency, from my own understanding, is much more common earlier in women that are thinner that don't have mm-hmm. as much body fat. They mm-hmm. may have more risk of osteopenia and bone loss. Mm-hmm. Um, they are you know fairer skinned. There's there's just a certain complex around that. But but also, as women move into menopause, they their estrogen does drop, not as sure. precipitously as progesterone. But that drop, if you don't have some body fat to build you up, can mm-hmm. be a real issue. And, and one of the things I noticed, I was just in LA last week, I did participated happily as a panelist in three different events on hormones. One was on hormones and sexuality. Um, and so many of the questions from these young, you know, I'd say women in their 30s, 20s, 30s, and 40s, women I consider to be, you know, just youngins, mm-hmm. talking about no libido. Yeah. Absolutely no libido. They'd rather delete emails than, <laughs> you know, than I think I said that before. Um, no libido or pain upon intercourse, yep. be, and that doesn't help the libido either Mm-mm. because of this dryness, this yep. vaginal dryness. And I look at them and I think, you know, a lot of you are very underweight. Yep. There's there's this whole thing about veganism, mm-hmm. uh, plant-based eating, which may or may not supply enough good fats in the diet. And we know that good fats and protein are the backbone of hormone mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm tempted to say to these gals, hey, you need to put on about five Eat pounds. More. <laughs> 
Yeah, eat more. Reminds me of my, my Russian grandmother. She said to me, you're too skinny, eat. You know, eat, oh, eat, your skin and bones. I know, and it's so yeah, funny. she was right. But it, it's so true. And I think about one of the patients I'm seeing right now, she's 30 years old, and her estrogen levels are low in her saliva test. And, and, but she went off the birth control pills back in January. Mm-hmm. She's not abnormally thin. She's a normal, normal weight, normal height person. But we keep talking about why is her estrogen low? And it'll probably bounce back up again. But... We're watching it, and she doesn't have any symptoms of low estrogen yet. Yet, and, I, and it's rare for me to put somebody on systemic forms of estrogen at a young age. Right, I might when their ovaries should be making yeah the and proper so, complement. So the better to me to be the better choice on that person would be to support their adrenals, to support their bodies, get their body, make sure their diet's good, make sure that they're absorbing the supplements we're taking, addressing all the digestive issues they're having, working on their stress issues, their sleep cycles, and get hopefully their bodies will bounce back. Progesterone is a little harder to bring back, but I think estrogen should come back. I think all of those things you mentioned are very commonly intertwined yes. with, with this picture of, of younger women who are really stressed. You know, they've got high octane jobs. They're going, going, going all the time. They're under eating. They're definitely not, you know, a lot of them will admit to me, well, I am plant-based and I eat really clean, but I guess my go-to is carbs. Mm-hmm. So they don't often get enough of the fats and proteins again. Right. And then there's, and, and I'd love to have, um, I think one of our next interviews is going to be with a nutritionist mm-hmm. who can tell us a lot more about the proper ways to eat in sync with your cycles too, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. feed your fertility, to feed your ovaries, uh, especially when you're younger, to be making the right complement. But there's also with younger women another issue. If, if you're having these symptoms of estrogen deficiency that we're talking about and you're not in, you know, I'm seeing these symptoms that are like a woman in menopause. And so we have to look at that diet and also how much exercise they're getting because a lot of young gals are we know into high intensity exercise so that means and I'm I'm not even exaggerating I have talked to women that tell me well yeah I do work out a lot I I do five spin spin cycles a week Mm -hmm. I also run um, I do bar and I do weight strength training strength training is great for building lean muscle we know that for endurance but a lot of them admit that they're exhausted Mm -hmm. they're tired and what does that do ultimately it can an extreme pattern of exercise with a diet that is insufficient can certainly lead to a lack of ovulation and there you're right back to the problem of these low hormones and then you get into and you were ta- I was just thinking as you were talking about this too when women are not so first of all you're too lean you're not making enough estrogen you need enough estrogen to, to ovulate then you need enough right when, once you ovulate you know you make the progesterone so if you have low estrogen, you're not getting an adequate ovulation. You're going to have anxiety and you're going to have depression. And what are we seeing all over, mm-hmm. every, everywhere we go now? Everybody's got anxious. And there's so anxiety much... Anxiety is huge. It's, yeah. And there's so much pressure on... I was hearing about this the other day. You know, there's a higher rate of suicide in young people now because the stresses are so great in our world. So it comes down to... We're, we know our, our focus has mostly been so far, I think, on the perimenopausal woman and the menopausal woman. But we all know that it, it starts when you're young, and and really hormonal imbalances. We see you know, precocious puberty kids hitting, mm-hmm. uh, having their periods at like 10, 11 years old.
old. A lot of that has to do with diet and being overweight, and they end up having their breast buds early on. And then we're seeing it too all much estrogen. The, yeah, and then you have two. So you have the overweight kid who's having precocious puberty. You have the underweight girl who's not. She's doing gymnastics in her body. You know, BMI perfect is below, example. Yeah, below twenty, and she's not going to have a period till she's sixteen years old when she stops doing her gymnastics. So we're seeing hormone imbalances. There's just so there's so much to talk about. Right, it's amazing, and we're trying to you know we're, we're staying on the estrogen today, though too little, too much. But it's so important that if you think you have a hormone imbalance. Go to somebody that you can talk to, and you can definitely, we'll have some information posted on our website, but we are going to provide ways you can go to local compounding pharmacies in your area. You, if you can contact different, Great resource. different hormone, hormone uh, testing labs, like the, some of the ones we've talked about in the past. But you need to find somebody that will listen to you, will offer you some really solid testing, and then a treatment plan that is comprehensive, that covers not just hormone replacement. You might not need that. You might just need an adequate nutrition plan, an adequate exercise plan, not too much, not too mm-hmm. little, uh, some meditative type uh, exercises, some yoga, some, and then, you know, obviously your diet and all those things that so you have to really and stress stress management and and finding your emotional support among your friends and your family which is which is absolutely key it is key yeah. so so again you know we're, we're we're kind of covering a lot of ground today i feel like but it's all linked in it's all linked together the hormone imbalances are well I've, i think you know the the imbalances the mother of imbalances really are those two master female hormones the estrogen progesterone connection mm-hmm. and so that's why we're dwelling on this quite a bit and before we finish today i just wanted to go back a bit to how it is that women can have both estrogen dominance and estrogen deficiency mm-hmm. um and and we see that all the time because of these fluctuations in hormones which again and chime in here, Kyle, but goes back to, is there extreme stress? Is there deprivation or restricted eating? Is there a lack of fats or protein in the diet? Are we not getting enough sleep? All of these things can cause fluctuations much earlier. I remember working at ZRT and looking at these lab tests and seeing young women that had levels that were just, you know, and and seeing them now at Your Hormone Balance, where I do my uh, online consulting, that were just, um, you know, the, the levels that we should see in a much older person. Or these, what we think of perimenopause, when hormones start to kind of pack their bags, but mm-hmm. it takes a good eight to 10 years before they move into the true menopause of 12 weeks, with 12 months without a period. We'd see this happening in the in, in a woman's late 30s rather than in the mid-40s. Do you see this? Oh, gosh. And I can't, it's so shocking to me when people come in, I see them on my schedule. I have a lot of hormone consults on my schedule, and every day I look and see, and, you know, the majority of them are in their 40s and 50s. And I have people coming in their 20s and 30s for hormone talks. I think, wow, that has a big shift, because I've been doing this now for almost 20 years, this type of work, mm-hmm. and it has been a big shift down towards young people. So the good news is that people are thinking that they may have a hormone imbalance rather than thinking, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I need to be on meds. Suspecting and this knowing is, the symptoms yeah, more and more, I and, think. And, and seeking out the care. I can't believe how people find us or me. It's mm-hmm. always amazing. I'm like, how did you find us? And they do a search, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. So there's definitely an awakening of people's awareness, which is a good thing. Which reminds me of a great book. I know. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) In our wrap-up, we promised to tell you about some of the best books on menopause. And and one of them is called Awakening Athena, 
which is um, uh, written by Dr. Kenneth Stevenson, who's really one of the movers and shakers in the field of hormone testing and bioidentical hormones, a most beautiful woman, mm-hmm. MD from Texas, who actually has um, uh, did the CHOICE study that looked at the effects of, of topical progesterone head-to-head with synthetic hormones mm-hmm. and found that. that there was no proliferation in the uterine lining and that it helped to relieve women's hot flashes and, you know, natural hormone approaches and and also um, better moods, mm-hmm. you know, better uh, tolerance for life slings and arrows. But Kenna wrote a beautiful book, Awakening Athena, is still out there. Um, I think you can order it online. Uh, and I also loved... Um, um, Can I say something about that book? Yeah, please. I, I want to have two comments. One is about that study. Is that I, what I remember the, her, the the, the take home message from me on that study was that the women who were on the bioidentical progesterone or hormone balance, a lot of them didn't have the energy before they were on that to try to lose weight or try to make life changes. Uh-huh, and the yeah. big thing, the big shift, and this is what I hear. I know Candace hears it as well. The big shift once they got balanced was now I have the energy to try those things again. Mm-hmm. It's it's a real uh, it's really hard to, to to struggle every day to wake up and just feel crappy and think okay someone told me I have to I have to work out I have to eat well I have to do these things and if you just feel crappy how do you even you know get muster the energy to do that but once your hormones are balanced. I guarantee you're going to feel the mojo again, and you're right. going to feel like getting up and going. And Kenna's book also talks about touch therapy. Yes, I remember I that remember being that. such a, a vivid memory of reading that book. I, I read it a couple times. I need to reread it again. She even has a protocol in there for the use of uh, bioidentical hormones. So, ladies, if you've got a doctor out there that needs some some guidance, get get them the Kenneth Stevenson book. But touch therapy, just that we don't really touch each other enough. That yeah. we're we're so you know on our phones and our cell phone, we don't communicate oh, yeah. in person, face to face. We need more hugging, et cetera. And she also talked about creativity, yes. what a stress reducer that is, that if you paint or scrapbook or sketch or play piano, how your creative juices flow out through your fingers and out goes the stress as well. Yeah, she also so. talked, and I also love, there was another part in that book, it's funny, it's been a long time since I read that we'll book. We'll have to have Kenna on this that, podcast. That would be great. She talked about, she also had a little thing that she did with her patients, she had um, cinema therapy. She would actually yes. tell people what right. movies to watch, and I think both well, actually, we'll come up with some good ones in the future episodes. That's but, a great idea. But movies to watch. Oh, oh, I have one, though. How about that period end of sentence? Aha. Uh-huh. There was yeah. a documentary written. Didn't uh, that win? It, it won, won the Best Academy Documentary. Yeah. yeah, this year. So that was, it's, I would just recommend, just as an aside from the books we're mm-hmm. talking about today, is that period end of sentence is a, a documentary that was filmed in India this year, and it won an Academy Award for, I think, a Best Foreign Documentary or something like that. It is yeah. an amazing look at these young women in India who had no sanitary products, and they were just so ashamed. They would have their periods each month, and they would go into hiding because their clothing would get full of blood, and they were just so they were ostracized by the community. And this man came up with the the program to supply uh, sanitary products, and these women's faces you had, and the colors of the saris that they wore. It's a beautifully filmed movie. And it just goes to show you, I don't think we're that far from that in the United States, even though we're as, as developed and as supposedly enlightened in some of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. In many ways, we, we sort of ostracize women, too. We're sort of doing that with this whole menopause thing. Women who, who don't, can't find the answers, they feel, they feel ostracized. I think you hear these words, invisible, irrelevant, mm-hmm. embarrassed. 
uh, you know, the, in in this article, yes. harking back, she mentions going shopping with her son, who seemed to who seems to outgrow his clothes overnight. So she's taking him shopping, and she catches a glimpse of her of this old rumpled woman in the mirror, <laughs> describing herself yeah. as an old rumpled woman, and this is a woman in her forties. So know, how and, do and, we let this seep into our bones and our sense of self? Well, and there's such a, we, and we're going to get back into that optimal aging thing, but there is so much that can change a woman's life who, again, who feels good about how she feels, how she mm-hmm. looks, how strong she is, getting back to the gym, being like, for myself, I wake up every day and I thank God that I can I can do yoga and I can play tennis. And, and I, I can, can attest hug. to Kyle being Miss Fitness at <laughs> what age? I don't know if you want to. I, I'm going to be 66 next month, and right. I I'm, I feel and great. And I'm going to be 71. And you wouldn't, and you girls, I mean, people tell us we look better than them. That we, <laughs> maybe yeah, that we look of. better than it. No, but I like to think, you know, I, I, I'm not, we both have daughters. We've yeah. been there, done that. We don't need, we're not competing with our daughters. No. We want to feel and look good for our age. We, and we want and to that's feel. absolutely possible. And when we, when yeah. we hark back to the idea of where are the books on menopause you know i i have some others i could mention and we'll put them in the show notes i think um the wisdom of menopause by christiane northrup is another one but i do think there's a dearth of books about the lived experience of menopause well i do remember the book that i loved is by a local nurse practitioner nisha jackson right she now yeah. she was uh, she came up to portland a few times years ago and she was at a couple of conferences she was lovely um, and i actually follow her on facebook she wrote a book called um the hormone survival guide to perimenopause and i used to actually carry that in my office because mm-hmm. i thought it was brilliant she goes through all the symptoms, she goes through the testing, she goes through the treatment, and she really breaks it down for people. I thought it was, it, I always tell people it says perimenopause, but it, it, it applies to menopause. So that's what I recommend. We'll post all these books on our website, ladies. And, and Just wanted to oh. chime in, Nisha also wrote a book called The Teenage Hormone Takeover. That's right. That's so right. for mothers going mm-hmm. into perimenopause, I remember when I turned 50, Jesse, my oh, eldest, turned 13 and got her period the same day that I turned 50. Don't you it remember? It seemed em- pretty symbolic. I don't know if anybody about men- Menopause, monarch. Well, oh, don't God. you remember em- the old, um, she was a cartoonist, uh, or she was a writer, Irma ben- Bombeck? Oh, and yeah. She, one oh. of her famous quotes was, God made it so unfair, a woman going through menopause having a child at puberty. It was like, <laughs> it was like hormonal hell in the household, yeah. basically. Poor, poor husbands I and fathers. Know. Yeah, and think about, you know, the men in our lives, you know, think about men who only have daughters. It, you know, it's <laughs> sort of like, my husband grew up with three older sisters, and I'm sure it, it made him my much more too. aware. Your husband too. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think ha- men having sisters, it's, it's a positive thing because you're aware of that women are, are, we're different, we're wired differently. Our hormones mm-hmm. are very different. Yeah. So, it, but in closing, let's, uh, so we've covered a lot of ground today. And yes. I think we've covered- Which a, is the intention every time. Every time, and we are- can count so on us to do that. And we have so much more to say, and we are going to have a nutritionist on in a very, uh, an episode, upcoming episode, not sure which one. And she's fabulous, and she's a functional nutritionist. Uh, we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of testing again. Um, we're, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. You can mm-hmm. address any questions through our website, and we'll be happy to read them on the air if you have any concerns that we can address. Actually, we do have a website set up now. Um, it's called womentalkingfrankly.com. Yes. And I want to. I also want to close with, I have a quote from the, uh, one of my patients. It was so cute recently. She's 66 years old, Jill. And she told me, we were talking about... Um, 
how she feels now that she's been on hormones. And she keeps, people always ask me how long we can be on them and blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know, you know how people, when they're laid to rest, sometimes they have, they hold in their hands a bouquet of lilies. When I die, I'm going to be holding in my hands my little things of bioidentical hormones. <laughs> <laughs> Go to my grave with my bioidentical hormones. <laughs> I thought hormones. that was just the best quote. Right. I said to her, Jill, thank you. I'm going to use that quote because it's so true. And once you discover the magic of how you feel, it's really hard to let go. That's so right, Kyle. Truer words were never spoken. And that takes us right back to one of our 10 essential truths, that finding, being, and staying in balance is a work in progress. So ladies, take the first step now. Well, here we are at the end of this WTF, Woman Talking Frankly, podcast episode. In signing off, we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head. And that you have so many options to choose from to get you back to balanced living. Until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need. With love, Kyle and Candace. Our website is womentalkingfrankly.com, where you can find all of our episodes, check out the show notes for resources, articles, and remedies, and where you can also feel free to email us with any questions, a hormone story, anything you'd like us to share with our listeners. Women Talking Frankly, WTF, is produced by Dan Rigger of Medicine Whistle Studios in his lovely Southeast Portland, Oregon studio. We want to thank our webmaster and dear friend, Deb Hollister of Pure and Simple Graphic Design. We also want to give a shout out to all of our family, friends, and patients for all of their support and encouragement to start this podcast. We are your hosts, Kyle McAvoy and Candace Birch.